it's time to sit down and relax for the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A with your host, Doug. Hey there, welcome back. So last week we interviewed actress Heidi Lewandowski from the movie Escape Plan 3, The Extractors. She played the receptionist during an amazing fight scene. And uh, yeah, she had some great stories to tell. And now for this week, we have our biggest interview yet. He was in Die Hard 2, Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, The Mist. But we interviewed him for his role of death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. You might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later you dance with the reaper. <laughs> Get down with your bed, sir. And that man is the great William Sadler. You're going to love him and his behind-the-scenes stories from Die Hard 2, working with Bruce Willis, Hard to Kill, working opposite Steven Seagal, and a lot of Bill and Ted. He loved that role. So, without further ado, let's start the interview. Hi, William. Doug. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I gotta let you know, I love your work. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I was out to eat. I know you're from, I don't know if you're still in the area, but you grew up outside Buffalo? Yeah. Whereabouts are you? I'm in uh, New Jersey. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm from outside of Buffalo. Oh, nice. Yeah, me and my wife actually got married, uh, yeah, Niagara Falls on the Canadian side. <laughs> oh, fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we did just a little uh, me and her wedding, and uh, it was fun. We got married on the boat, and then went out to Toronto afterwards. But uh, yeah, so yesterday I was out to eat in New Hope, Pennsylvania, and uh, yeah, I got that email. And I was like, I couldn't even like. I told my wife, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe this. So that's so awesome. Say <laughs> he took the time. Are you are you back in the area, or are you you living um, out west? No, no, no. I live, uh, I live near Millbrook, New York. Just oh, okay. About seventy miles north of New York City. Oh, that's nice. I have a little front house and sit. You know, I've got a little nineteenth-century house that sits by a waterfalls and a trout stream, and and uh, I like it. I can get to yeah, that's in, a, in an hour or so, and and. Uh, I don't know. It just feels healthier and more normal than Los Angeles did. So, here I, I bet. And that's how you grew up, right? You worked on your your parents had a farm. Um, they had, well, they had a, we had. A, I grew up on a farm. We we raised. Uh, we didn't have a lot of animals, though. We had rabbits and pigeons and and Christmas trees. It wasn't a, it wasn't sort of a normal farm. Um, but anyway, are we recording the uh, podcast yeah. now? Oh, we are. Yes, we are. Oh, yeah. well, hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> my my childhood was like running around the barn with my friend from down the road with our BB guns and diving out of the hayloft and and <laughs> coming up shooting and getting captured by Germans and you know we were, then we did stop and have a bologna sandwich and then. <laughs> And then run back in the barn. And it was, it was, I, I realized not too long ago that my entire childhood was sort of rehearsing for, for the career I ended up having. I know, that's pretty wild. Especially as a kid, like, that's just so great. I have a six month old, so she's not in the realm of too much imagination yet and, and talking, but that, that's what the, the innocence of a child. I remember being a kid, like pretending to, like watching Ninja Turtles, and then going in the backyard and like <laughs> me and my buddies would be like fighting these fake ninjas that are coming to the backyard, and you like believe it. Like my if my buddy like fell on the ground, I'd be like, oh man, I gotta help him out. It's like such a powerful right, thing. Exactly. It was like well, that's that's exactly what it was. It was like um, you you make up these long long improvs, these huge scenarios, and and they go on all afternoon. Until you know your mom yells, it's time for dinner. Or yeah, and you, and you have to do that as an actor. I'm sure there's so many roles you go into. There's, you know, I don't know how many people on set staring at you. So then you have to get into that 
that mindset. Like this is a real scenario or I know you did a lot of films that had CGI and especially like a movie like the mist and you have to like pretend that that thing is there. Well, that's one of, I mean, one of an actor's tools is one of, one of the most important tools is the power of your own imagination that, you know, you're not, you know, you're not really in a battle. You're not really, yeah. you know, facing imminent deaths. You're not really, you know, you're not really in any of these situations. <laughs> you have, but you can imagine them. You can, you can, and you can actually stir the, some of the feelings you would have if you, if you were in them. If you imagine well enough, so yeah, and in a lot of your work, I believe exactly what you're trying to portray. So, when was the first time that you, especially growing up on a farm, like that you thought about, you know what, I want to try to be an actor? <laughs> um, I didn't know. I didn't know I wanted to be an actor until I got to high school, and the, I had an English teacher named Dan Larkin who. who um, I had I had been doing stand-up comedy. I'd been playing the banjo and telling jokes as Banjo Bill Sadler and this high school. <laughs> it was going pretty well. But it was That's awesome. Really awful, corny jokes. And I'm not a great banjo player, but but I was in Heidi shows and, you know, and this uh, English teacher said, why don't you try out for the senior play? And it was Harvey. And I ended up doing that and uh, I just started to fall in love with it it was um, and uh, after that he said they're doing a they were doing a a play a community theater the Amherst Players was doing um, the subject was Roses which was a Pulitzer Prize winning three three character drama about a young boy who goes away and joins the army and comes back and looks at his two parents, you know, this drunken, abusive father and his mother and this relationship. And, and um, I mean, it sounds really, it is dark. It's a dark, but it's the one that launched Martin Sheen. Oh, really? Um, on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great play. Like I said, it won, a, it won the Pulitzer. It was... Um, so I auditioned for that, and I got that, and um, that was such an ama- amazing experience. Um, and I, I just fell in love with the, the whole idea. I mean, I realized I guess I had a, a sort of a knack for doing this, um, but I had a tremendous amount to learn about doing it. I mean, there's a big, there's a difference between being and you know having a talent for something and um, uh, being able to do it professionally under, you know, any circumstances again and again and again, there's a, there's a lot of craft that I had to learn. That's why I went away and studied it for four years at Geneseo. And then I got a scholarship to study it, uh, to get a, uh, master's in fine arts and acting from Cornell University. Oh, wow. And after, you know, and and for all of that, I mean, college was really fun. Um, and I learned a lot at Cornell. But it wasn't really until, like, I got to New York and I started doing plays that I really began to understand this craft and hone the craft. And I just did, you know, years and years and years of plays in New York and on Broadway. And that's, um, you know, that was my train before I ever did a, any film. I did something like 11 years of uh, theater. Wow. What year did you get to New York? About? 75. So some rough, that was some rough New York that you were, uh, <laughs> yeah. And we actually, that was the summer of Sam and all that, right around yeah. that time. I moved it. Well, yeah, I, well, I kept, uh, I was doing regional theater before that. New York scared the shit out of me. I bet. But I sort of knew I had to get there. And I was, I did a season at Trinity Square Repertory Company and auditioned for Joe Papp and got into the Shakespeare in the Park, uh, Henry V in, uh, in the non-equity ensemble. So I was like, I was part of the, you know, the army of spear carriers in Joe Papp's production of Henry V. Um, but that moved me to New York. 
got an apartment with another actor in the East Village for 150 bucks. Wow. How much? That probably goes for what now? Three, four thousand dollars? I have no idea. No idea. It was like it cost me seventy five dollars a month to stay there, and yeah. Uh, but the East Village was a sort of a different place back then, and it was. Uh, I met my wife that year. Oh wow! I, I lived on Seventh Street, and she lived on Fifth Street, and. Uh, I moved in with her because she had a nicer apartment. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> no, um, but anyway, that was it, it. Was those were the you know that was that's how I got started in New York. And did you go to New York prior to that? Like growing up, did your family go to New York at all, or was that the first time? When well, my, my we had a senior a senior trip, you know, where we all we all got on a train and went to. Maryland or something, and on the way oh, okay. back, we stayed one night in New York City, and um, I snuck off by myself and went to a Broadway show. Whoa! So I snuck in at half, you know, at the at the act break, and uh, I New York City just fascinated me. It scared me to death, but it was I don't know. But after, after once I moved there, it became so you know. It becomes like a small town, you know. You can't walk down the street without saying hi to about ten people, you know. Yeah. You know, you know the guy who sells the bagels on the corner, and the guy who runs the little Indian deli, and the guy who, you know, it, it just becomes a little neighborhood, um, and uh, and a and a hotbed for writers and actors, dancers, and so on. Um, so I did that for like 11 years until I got my first movie, which was Project X, I think. Yeah, they have another movie before that, but I know you did some series before that, too. It has on here uh, Newhart. No. I don't even know if that's right or not. No, that isn't, that isn't correct. That isn't? Okay, good. No. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of times when I talk to I people, yeah. yeah, it's never right. <laughs> now the IMDb is. I don't even know how to go on IMDb and fix things. I don't that know that aren't correct. I did the New Heart show, but I was a guest. Um, oh, okay. A, a guest actor on one episode. Yeah, it has you as clumsy guest. Exactly. I didn't. Even, my okay. character didn't even have a name. He just fell down the stairs and his suitcase <laughs> popped open, and he broke the sink, and the doorknob came off in his hand, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, Pro anyway. Project X, and then right around there was Hanky Panky. <laughs> well, that's a little bit earlier. That was Hotelerk. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I didn't count those. I, yeah, no, I hear. Rag, I did Ragtime too, but I didn't have any lines. I just. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I guess. So when you got Project was so when you got Project X, were you still in New York? Yeah. Yeah, I was doing uh, I was doing Biloxi Blues on Broadway. When, when Project X happened, and Matthew Broderick was the star of of uh, Biloxi Blues. Oh wow! And when he went off to do that movie, I guess they um, they just offered me the job. I didn't. I don't recall even auditioning for that one to be the evil head of the evil Air Force project that kills the chimps. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> with a great cast too, Helen Hunt and Steve oh, I know. Lang. I mean, it was fantastic. No, and then right again, I don't know if this is right or not, but they have you in, the, in a movie. I think it's right around that time. Uh, Offbeat. Judge Reinhold was the star. Yeah, it was. There's a lot of people in that movie too. Little, yeah, I think that was a little. Little role, I don't even recall. Yeah, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Well, with all the great stuff you've been, I, I totally get that. <laughs> well, when you start out, you know, you, when you start out, they say, you know, you you kind of get your foot in the door, and you hope you yeah. get noticed doing something, you know, that you're good at. Um, which didn't actually happen until uh, the um, Tales from the Crypt uh, uh, series. Uh, was being started by HBO and they were looking for someone to play this role 
of Niall Talbot, the executioner who gets laid off from the prison and goes off killing people by his own. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and Karen Ray was casting that. Um, and I, I mentioned this because uh, I went in to read for the a cop at the end of this little half-hour episode who said, all he has to say is, Mr. Talbot, you're under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say, blah, blah, blah. Right? That was it. Yeah. That's the whole role. Um, and I read for her at Silver Pictures over on the Fox lot in L.A. And I said, I finished, and I was about to leave, and I said, what's up, what's up with the role of Niles, of Talbot? The, the executioner. Oh, they, you know, they want John Malkovich, or they need a name for that. They're looking for, you know, Kurt Russell. They want somebody with a name. So I said, oh. And I left. And I got all the way across the parking lot, and Karen Ray stuck her head out the window of the office and said, Bill, come back. <laughs> gave me. She gave me this huge monologue that Talbot says. He talks right into the camera. She says, come back on Monday. I'll put you on tape. But slick your hair and, you know, black out your teeth or something because you're too good looking. You're too cute. <laughs> so I, I came back on the following Monday and she put me on tape doing this monologue, this uh, executioner's little chat with the audience about how he likes electricity and, uh, <laughs> you know, some people say, you know, they want to do it with a lethal injection or stuff like that. That's how you kill a dog or a cat. I'm not a man. <laughs> Just this good old boy who's talking about. Anyway, I got the job. The director of that little thing was Walter Hill. And the four producers on it were Joel Silver, Walter Hill, Bob Zemeckis, Wow. Uh, Dick Donner. Which was like the... Those are the big name, biggest guys. It was like, holy Toledo. I didn't even know, you know. I had no idea. I was from the theater world. But I did a, I did a good job. And it, caught, and it launched that series. It was the very first episode. Yeah. It was up for all kinds of awards and what have you. And the next thing that... Walter Hill did was Trespass. Well, immediately after that was uh, Die Hard 2, which was Joel Silver's project. Yeah. I know he, they just offered me the villain in Die Hard 2 because of the Tales from the Crypt thing. Uh, and you were so great in that. Well, thank you. But, but, I mean, the point of my story is one of the writers on Tales from the Crypt was Frank Darabond, who then asked me to do the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile and the Mist. Um, wow. It was like that. And I, it's funny because I look back at that one little moment when I asked Karen Ray, what's up with the lead role in this thing? And she took a chance. She said, you know, sure, come on, I'll, I'll let you read for it. If I hadn't done that, I have no idea what sort of career this would have been. Yeah. If you didn't open your mouth in that because, moment? Because it literally is like from that from that little tiny job that I think it paid fourteen hundred dollars or something. Yeah. <laughs> it took a week to shoot it. But from that job, all of these other projects and people uh came into my career have a lot to thank her for. Yeah, that's amazing. And Karen Ray then, a few years later, was casting Bogus Journey. And she called me in to read for the Grim Reaper in Bogus Journey. <laughs> I guess because <laughs> the executioner had done so well. Yeah. And uh and I came in and I read and I did the I did the accent and everything. <laughs> which I thought was fun. And uh no. That that's it's great. Like before we started chatting, I didn't know obviously that you did like the stand up with the banjo and the songs. So it's like going into that going into that movie, you played a lot of evil like bad guys. Project X, 
I love you and hard to kill. Mm. So like just a, a crooked senator who would have guessed it, but uh, no, right. just such a great. And then Stewart was that same year in Die Hard too. So you had these really like bad, like just bad guy. And you, Jeez, you just man. like exude. Yeah. You just like exude this evil as your characters, just everything that just comes from it. And then you have Bill and Ted and, it's just amazing. It's amazing. That character is so, so amazing in that movie. Well, thank you. I, what, what, what I, what I think was really cool about the Bill and Ted thing was that because they're dead and they've gone to hell, um, and they're meeting the Reaper, he, he's a terrifying character. He's a, he should be really scary, uh, when you first meet him. You know, you must challenge me to a couple of How you will stay in hell forever. He's, he's like, holy crap. Now they're really in trouble. They've met death himself, and he's this frightening figure. And then, of course, immediately they start, as soon as they get into the board games and <laughs> and playing Clue and then it just all falls apart and he's a and he's a doofus just you know he's a sore loser he's petty he's you know he's got all of these traits that um you know people have <laughs> he's insecure he wants people to like him and what about my butt and <laughs> you know and he's and the, I just thought I just thought it was really fun to him. I was really oh yeah to get, a, to get a chance to be funny again, you know, and not just you know go from one evil prick to another. <laughs> just, no, that's a trait about that. As a yeah. scary dude, and yeah. almost immediately just evolves into you know <laughs> this this goofy guy. Yeah, like when you guys are getting into, I rewatched it last night. And, uh, so you guys are getting into heaven, like trying to get in there, and then you see the mm-hmm. three people that you take out, and they come back wearing the men's clothes, and you come back in like the little Bo Peep outfit, <laughs> and you have the high, yeah, the high pitched voice, and yeah, you're right. It's like your the character goes from scary and devolves to be like like exactly what you just said, like tiptoeing back after God. Says that they'll help him out. <laughs> they helping me. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, God. Yeah, exactly. No, it was it was it was it was really fun. It was really fun to create that character, and then to and they gave me a lot of um, they gave me a lot of leeway. I I, I think they weren't. The, the producers and um, Pete Hewitt, the director, I'm not sure how sure of themselves they were about my character on the first day. There were a lot of serious faces, and we'd never tried the makeup before. My first day of filming was up at Santa Clarita, um, and my first day of filming was the game sequence. That was the very first day, the very first shot, very first hours of in the makeup and all the rest of it. That was the first thing I did with Alex. And um, I think there was a lot of trepidation about, you know, is this going to work? Is the accent going to work? Is the, you know, is the makeup going to work? What accent did you channel? I actually, uh, I worked with an actor named Jan Triskin in New York in a play. And he had this great, uh, Czech, he's from Czechoslovakia, and he talked like that. Everything <laughs> was, you know, Czechoslovakian like this, and I just thought it was funny, and and uh, so I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see him afterwards? No, I never. I never. Oh, had. really? I never. He had watches that, that movie, and he I just hope like he doesn't hear this. Yeah, he'll he'll hear this podcast and see. Yeah. <laughs> He's watching why, the movie. He crushes the beer can in his hand. Was supposed to be mine. <laughs> the shoot was the shoot went really well, and I liked the first movie. I liked uh, uh, Excellent Adventure, 
I was already a fan of theirs. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, sequels are sequels are are hard. You have to, you know, you you have you build on what they've done, but you have to take it somewhere special. It has to become its own thing, I think, for it to work. You know what I mean? No, that's no, that's true. That's that's why, like, growing up, I always for some reason my my dad used to always he was a garbage man in New Jersey, and uh, for some reason, like, some of the stuff that people would throw out and he would bring home that's in good condition it would be like for some reason I had a lot of movie sequels, like a lot on VHS. So that's why I started this this project, so to speak. Because I think some sequels are done right, and then there's some that are that don't connect to the original movie. Like, you know, there's like the movie Anaconda. There's like a <laughs> fifth, there's like a fifth and sixth sequel to that that doesn't really mention. It. It's just like it's a movie with a snake that they just wanted to throw that title on so mm-hmm. people would know. So you have to heighten it. Like Die Hard to Die Hard Two. Die Hard Two is the the stakes are a lot higher. His wife's on an airplane that could crash, and you know and a ton of people died in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you turned off everything, and you know, the, I think it was the French flight coming in. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think they were English, but we died. Oh, English, yeah. I forget. Anyway, they, yeah, yeah. No, they, well, that's always the, that's always the problem with sequels, because and especially with something like Die Hard, where the first one is so great. I mean, it's perfect. I heard watching this thing on CNN about the movies, 80s and 90s. Yeah. I'll confess, I was watching it, hoping to see something. And did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I forget what I saw. Oh, they mentioned ragtime, but that hardly counts. Oh, really? No, because it was all movies from the 80s, so... Oh, it was just the 80s, okay. Yeah, they 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 mentioned Die Hard, but they didn't get to Die Hard too. But anyway, they were talking about Die Hard being like the it's like the Casablanca of action films that it's it's just perfect. And I agree, it was a huge huge blockbuster. You know, it made Bruce Willis a monster star, and um, you know it launched a whole series of of sequels. But the but the Die Hard Two, I don't know about anybody else, but I sort of felt a, a serious amount of pressure to uh, make it, you know, better. Make it, make it. Uh, it's got to stand up to the first one, or else people are going to just go, yeah, well, you know, it's not as good as the first one. And that's, I guess, that's always the, you know, that's always the challenge with sequels. What do you, how do you make it different but the same? Yeah, and how do you how do you repeat magic? The first one is really magic. What do you you know? <laughs> what kind of alchemy can you put together? That sequels are sequels are difficult. Yeah, but I think the Diard one, the the last two are just I would say straight up just action, like and things exploding. But the second and third one, the second one, just thinking how it was heightened, you know, and you had the twist in that one, you know the. The guy that worked for the military, right. I forget, I forget his name. He's working with you, and you, you don't know they're right. using the the blanks in that firefight. So, no, it right. definitely has a lot of awesome scenes. Where was that filmed? All over the place. It was. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, we chased. We were chasing snow, so we shot in in Denver at the Denver airport, and then Breckenridge, Colorado, and then um, Lake Moses. Colorado, and then back in Los Angeles, then Lake Tahoe, and Alpena, Michigan, and Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, and we kept, we kept, Joel Silver, who I mentioned earlier, had rented a plane, like a 747 or something, to be the plane that we use in the show. Oh, wow. And he just put everybody on board this, you know, his 747, and we would, we kept flying around looking for snow because <laughs> we needed an airport that we could shut down, and we needed snow, or at least it was cold enough so we could make snow and it would stay there. So, I mean, it was a challenging 
that was that was one of the most challenging parts of the show. We finally ended up shooting a, a lot of the action, like the fight on the wing and so on, was all done on yeah. on a soundstage at Fox. So you, you're opposite in the same year the movies came out, but you're opposite Bruce Willis and you're opposite Seagal. How how was it like going against those guys? Cause they were they were pretty big at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They were both. They needed a. They both needed good villains to make their movies work. I mean, working with them was fine. I didn't. You know, they were both. They were both. You know, respectful and fun, and we. You know, we would chat on the set and so on. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, they were already sort of you know eight hundred pound gorillas. So they were all yeah. big stars. <laughs> Yeah, I was sort of, it's an, it was an interesting job that they, Hollywood decided I was right for. Yeah. Because you, you can't have, a, you can't have James Bond without Dr. No. Oh, I know. And those are the movies that fail, but you have one or the other, you have to have both. You can't have Rocky without, you know, Dolph Lundgren. You've got to have, <laughs> you've got to put him up, you got to put the hero up against somebody who is a monster. Or and you know that was you know that was my job that was uh, Bruce I know Bruce was cool to work with I like to work with him Seagal a little less so yeah he seems a little intense <laughs> <laughs> and that was a very like I'm sure that final scene when you shot it was pretty intimate with him Bruce you were just on an airplane that went down but like that scene is hard to kill that's pretty intense which scene was that the uh, in, the shotgun yeah. Um, actually, they shot a different scene uh, for that. Oh, really? That they ended up not using. Yeah, in the the ending that they shot that they didn't use. Uh, I take a swing at him with the uh, fireplace poker. He's got the shotgun in his hand, right? And he in the in the scene that they didn't use, he grabs me by the bathrobe and throws me in a burning fireplace. Whoa. And then holds me in there while I burn to death, um, which was all done with a stuntman in a burn suit and so on. And they shot it. And then Warner Brothers, I guess, looked at it and said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's too intense. <laughs> they, must have gone to, they must have gone to Seagal and said, you can't, you can't do that. A hero can't do that. He's on, because, you know, this is the villain, but he's unarmed. He's, you know, you're the one with the gun. You're, you you can't just murder him point blank way. So we got back together to shoot a new scene from the moment where I swing the I take a swing at him with the tire with the fireplace to where they take me off and put me in a police car. We had to reshoot that. We got to the we got back to the location. We got back to the same location, and they hadn't decided how what he was going to do. Exactly. All they knew was it was supposed to be humiliating. So Seagal is there saying, well, I think we definitely have, I'll, I'll break his arm and then I'll snap his neck and then I'll rip his, and then I'll gouge his eyes and throw him on the floor. <laughs> and Bruce Malmuth, who was the director, who by this time he and Seagal were like barely talking to each other. They were, they wow. And Bruce Malmuth is saying, well, I think it's got to be humiliating. I think you should maybe pick him up and snap his back and break his uh, break his arm and, and you know take a shit on him or something. They wanted it to be, and I'm standing there in a bathrobe, and they haven't decided any of this. There's a whole film crew, cameras, everybody, everybody came back for this one little sequence, and they got in a big fight in Seagal left the set. He got. He went to his trailer. He said, you know, fuck this. And he went to his trailer. And I was, and I started thinking about it. And I thought, well, well, he's got that shotgun. What if he lowers, we see it under my chin and then it drops down out of frame. And you can tell from my reaction that he's got it up against my nuts. And then you hear the, and then he fires it. And I'm begging, like, no, 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 please, please, boom. And I reach down, and there's my nuts are still there. And then he can say something funny, like, 
I don't know how I could have missed. It must be smaller than I thought. <laughs> or some, you know, something like that. And I told the producers that and Malmo that. And they thought, oh, that's great. Um, I, I actually pieced it together from something that I saw in a movie called Oklahoma Crude, I think. But anyway, but then they said, who's going to tell Steven Seagal? Because if he, if Bruce Malmuth tells him, he's going to hate it. So they asked me to go to his trailer and tell him the idea. So I went to his trailer and I told him the idea. And he said, that's great. Shoot it. And that's, that's how the movie ends. With, oh, wow. With that little shotgun gag. <laughs> And I didn't have to get my tongue ripped out or my arm broken or um, any of that. So that's good. <laughs> that was such a cool story. Um, that is awesome. That's the way the, and then, the way the movie ended. Yeah, and then one thing I jotted down when we, me and my wife were watching Bogus Journey. Yeah, you're you're in it twice. You're you're like the the, yeah. the British oh, yeah. family watching. I asked. <laughs> I asked them if I could appear some, because I was in, under all this makeup and stuff, and I asked them if there was some way I could be the checkout guy at the hardware store or something. Oh, okay. Just, I asked them if I could appear somewhere without all the makeup, and that's what they came up with. So that's my that's, that's my actual wife and my actual daughter. Oh, no way. That's awesome. As a little English family, yes. That's so cool that they did that. Yeah. Yeah. That was... I was looking for the other actors because after you you did that, I was like, maybe they did... Also, before I asked him, I was like... Yeah, yeah. No, I, I didn't see him anywhere. Well, wow. But that was the, but that was the movie that... Um, I was... But after, you know, after playing all of these vicious, heavy killers... Um, right out of the box in Hollywood. I was really happy to play somebody who was funny, you know, to play the... And it seemed like a natural thing because he has to be scary at the beginning. You have to think, oh, crap, this guy, you know, death. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and then little by little, he just caves in until he's a simpering idiot and and... And becomes their friend and joins the band and he's singing. Yeah. You know. And the rap song. You have a rap song. The Reaper rap. I came up, well, they had written a, they had written a rap for him to, to do and I was, I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't, I couldn't, it didn't scan for me and I couldn't get, I just couldn't get underneath it and I just asked him if I could take a shot at it so I came up with that one too. Oh wow. Uh, you might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later you dance with the reaper. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> yeah. well, was, once I once I sort of got once I sort of put on the character, then I couldn't I couldn't stop myself. I kept you know ad libbing, and um, <laughs> there was a, there was a moment we were shooting the hardware store. Where the good robot buses are, <laughs> we're we're getting the stuff together to make the good robot buses, and um, shopping around in the hardware store, and and I thought, oh, I th I thought, wouldn't it be fun if the Reaper walked by somebody who was smoking, and just <laughs> walking by says, see real soon, and the guy puts the cigarette out. And I thought, that's fucking per it's perfect. It's really, it's, yeah. you know, it's shit simple and it's funny and it's, you know, an a, a ad for not smoking. <laughs> but we didn't have anybody, there's not, it's not in the script and we didn't have an actor to play the smoker. So Pete Hewitt, the director, said, bring the, bring the camera over here. And he lit up a cigarette and I walked by him and that's him. He showed. Oh wow! That's Pete Hewitt. That's the director who was smoking in that scene in that little moment. And that's was, so cool. But it was yeah. I don't know how much of that happens in lots of other movies. You know, whether uh, I guess it depends. I'm sure there's a lot of di directors that are like my way or the highway, and then some people like to collaborate because just think of just a few things that you mentioned already. 
with a, just a few of the movies you worked on, and it really it helped out and was able to. It oh, did great. It's funny. It's a so, funny thing, though. But once my imag- once my imagination kicks in and I'm in the character and sort of in the moment, then you know little things like that happen, and you know some of them get in the movie and some of them don't. But yeah, my favorite death line is when they're talking about who did more work, and it was like the sta- station, <laughs> and then you and then you. You say, well, I pushed the car at the hardware store. <laughs> and like such a defeated voice, like, like a little kid. It's like such a, such a lame. <laughs> was that, yeah, no, I, that was, that was good fun. Um, so over, yeah. so over your career, cause I'm sure when you're out places, people, people recognize you, right? Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is like take, the most recognized? Yeah. They stare at you while you're eating, and you're like, "Okay, what, what do you need?" <laughs> what do they What do they recognize me from most? Yeah. Um. I. Well, there was so much. There was a, three hours of makeup in the uh, Grim Reaper, so it isn't. It isn't that. Yeah. Um, but uh, it probably Shawshank. Yeah. Um, because I looked pretty much like I looked, or Die Hard too. It was like it was one of the you know one of the ones that Shawshank because it's on all the you know it keeps playing over and over and over again. Oh, it's on TNT all the time. My buddy wanted me to. I told him I was interviewing you, and he said, uh, "Make sure you tell him every time that's on, I have to stop what I'm doing." Because TNT plays that movie a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was you know that was when when Shawshank came came out when it we shot it. What did it came out in ninety four? I think, and it, it it opened in the theaters and then closed. And I mean, it was it was there for a, a couple of weeks and then it just went away. It didn't. It wasn't a hit movie. Um, people that saw it were raving about it, but it didn't catch on. And it's a strange name. The name didn't doesn't mean anything to people, you know. And they heard it was a prison movie, and it's long. <laughs> like <laughs> for whatever reason, it just it never did well in the movie theaters. But then when the nominations came out, and it was up for Best Picture, and Morgan Freeman, and on and on, it then they they put it back in the theaters for a while. Um, but it was really Turner, uh, Ted Turner. Putting it on the Turner broadcast, he he really made America aware of it. You know, if people rented it in video stores, uh, started renting it, and he started showing it, and it, that's how that's how most people saw it. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, I thought. I wonder if it just didn't if I, press or because that's odd that a movie that is that looked at as like such a great movie. Just people think, didn't go say. I'm not. I'm not sure about this number, but I think I don't. I think it made something like 18 million dollars or something domestic. It just it didn't it didn't do great when it first opened. Yeah. But but like I said, pe- movie titles are important. And you know, <laughs> it's and Shawshank, Shawshank sounds like an Indian name, and Redemption sounds religious. And then you hear it's a long prison movie. Yeah, that's true. And people are like, ah, okay, well, maybe not that one, you know. And now it's the great irony, of course, is now it's like the number one IMDb I know. Uh, movie. What's that out of the, you know, the top 200 movies or something like that? Yeah, something like that. I know, I know. It's wild. And, and everybody who was in it is going like, oh, you're kidding me. Hold it. Because <laughs> we didn't know. I mean, we all knew it was a good script and a good story, but it surpassed um, everybody's expectations, I think. Like while filming it, do you do that while you're filming a movie? Or you're like, like during it, during your scenes, or you're like in your head, like, Oh, this is going really good, or or do you think this is going to be a really good movie? I you you try not to judge yourself too much while you're while you're working on the thing. I mean, yeah, you know you 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 want every film to be spectacular. 
you're all you're all you're always trying to make it wonderful, but and yeah, and I'm often happy with you know the way the scene finally felt when we played it. But then you hand it over to an editor, and it, they chop it up and they move pieces around, and that great moment that you thought you know when you made one tear run down your cheek, and you know something that felt great on the set ends up not in the picture at all. <laughs> or, you know, this is, a, this is a, how things feel on the set. I think, I think when we shot Shawshank, we all knew it was a, it was a really good story. It was a really good story and a strong cast. But I'm pretty sure none of us thought this is going to be classic or, you know, 30 years from now, it's, going to be this beloved movie. People starting uh, after it opened, People, I, I heard people say, it's a classic, it's a classic, and I said, and I would say, no, Lee, you got to wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a classic, it's brand new. Tell me, you know, wait 20 years or 30 years and then tell me if it's a classic. <laughs> and you were in three different shows, including that, The Green Mile, The Mist, like Stephen King uh, adapted stories. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Frank Darabont. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for those other movies, did Frank know, like, hey, Bill's great for this role? Or did you audition for those other two? No, I didn't. Um, nah. No, actually, I read for... Um, I read for a different role in The Green Mile. Oh, really? Yeah, I read for... The um, he has the mouse, but he was he was perfect. That was he was just freaking perfect. But yeah, Frank cast me in that, and then the the Misty just called called. By that time, he just called me up and said, "You want to do it?" <laughs> That's such a good movie with a very very twisted ending. Yeah, you think? <laughs> very like that is like like heart wrenching. Like that's dark. That yeah. is dark. <laughs> and another movie I loved that you were in, and I, I want to get your take on it, uh, Disturbing Behavior. Oh, yeah. David Nutter. Yeah. That was such a cool character that you played in that movie. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I was, did, I'm not even sure where I came up with that character, but um, that was another case of... Um, you know, I, tra I did it at the audition and David Nutter said, yeah, well, I like that. And so, and it was the beginning of a long, terrific friendship with him as well. Um, oh, that's great. He's a, he's a brilliant director. He's, he cast me in Roswell that I did for three years and then he, but he, he directed some of the episodes of the Pacific that I did. He did a lot of the Game of Thrones. He's a fantastic director. Oh, wow. Just a great director, but... Yeah, yeah. I like the disturbing behavior. That was one of those movies that where David Nutter had never... He hadn't directed a feature before that. That was his first feature. And they studio screen tested or tested, you know, audience tested the film when he finished it, his his cut, and apparently it tested through the roof. Um, so in their wisdom they decided to start cutting that if it if it works great at the length that it's at, it'll work even better if we cut out all of, all of the backstory, all of uh, this kid had a brother who committed suicide, and that's why he was such a loner and disturbed. And um, there were there was a romantic storyline that got cut. Um, and Nutter was every, and every time they cut it, it tested worse. So they cut it some more, and it tested worse, and it just kept going and like that. And Nutter had no control over it. He was. Um, he fi he finally ended up. I think it went from 102 minutes to down to 70 minutes. Whoa! And it and uh, there was nothing left but action and horror stuff, right? 
stub blood special effects and creepy horror shit. Uh, but there, but there was no human part to the story. You didn't know who these people were, and the, and so the violence all seemed kind of gratuitous. Whereas in the original version in the script, they there were you know these people were these people were real. They had they had real lives, and so you cared about them. And then when they get in trouble, you really care about them. But anyway, it was so the the movie was. The movie didn't do well at all when it was released at 70 minutes long or something. Wow. It's really short. David was devastated. David wrote an open letter to the LA Times or the Hollywood Reporter or something that where he described the process of this. <laughs> they, you know, they hired some company to audience test it and they liked this or they didn't like that and so they you know, chopped, chopped and diced and sliced. He did, he, he went on to become one of the most successful television directors in the history of television. He did, I think, 15 pilots in a row that were all picked up. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, if you look up David <laughs> Nutter, David Nutter is, uh, you know, nobody's cutting. Yeah, I'm scrolling through right now. Nobody's he's done cutting his a lot of shows now. But, yeah, but or they'll get cut. His <laughs> behavior was one of them, though. I mean, he complained about what the studio did to his movie. Just with the fact, just going with a test audience, it's only such a small percentage of people that are actually going to see it, and just going by their opinion, it's not right. good. Right. But there you go. That's Hollywood. That's Yeah, that is Hollywood. So, yeah, so... Thanks so much for taking the time. Just a few more questions. So when uh, when they announced that they were going to do the new Bill and Ted movie, you know, just the way things are announced online nowadays, it's like they're going to do it. Rumors for seem like a couple of years now, and then they finally announced that you were going to be in it. Is that true? And yes, I'm going to be in it. That's awesome. Reaper, the Reaper comes back. Yes, that's good. Because at the end of the at the at the end of Bogus Journey, you tried a solo album and it didn't work, and then you came back like in the closing credits of the movie. <laughs> yes, well, I can I can tell you. Uh, I can, I mean, I, without spoiling anything, yes, that's he did go off and have a solo career. Cool, the Reaper. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how it went, but. Um, um, I, I can't uh, wait to see it. I'm so happy have, that we have a lot of fun with it, though. I bet. No, that's great that that they're doing the movie again. You know, 26 years later, it's going to come out. 27 years later, it's so cool. Yeah, I know. I know. I was, it's going to make a kill. It's going to make a killing. <laughs> I think so. Just think of the just think of the age group of uh, like those people are going to grandchildren to see it. Yeah. I'll be there. Yeah, no, opening that'll be, night, definitely. That'll, that'll be very cool. And yeah. I'm seriously looking forward to it. They're filming right now, in fact, down in New Orleans. Oh, okay. Not today, because they're all waiting for the hurricane to move off. But Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's already underway. So That's awesome. Going. Are you done yet? Or I, you gotta... No, no, no. I joined them in a couple of weeks. Oh, sweet. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And now one last question and Bill, thanks so much. This is like really I'm like grinning ear to ear because you are awesome. Like I just love some like again, like I said before, before you told me that you did the stand up, just seeing you as a bad guy in successful movies opposite Seagal and Willis, and then you play Death, which is such a great character. It's 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 amazing. So over the years What's what's your favorite character that you played that you got to play on screen? Oh, wow! Oh, that's really a tough one. You can name a few, just so you don't have to. Um, <laughs> no, but they, you know, I guess uh, some are more fun to play than others. The Reaper was very fun to play. He was. I don't get a chance to be funny very often, so that was great. Um. I don't know. I guess maybe, maybe that or Haywood and Shawshank, because I got to be funny in that as well. 
I mean, I'm, which I think he's sort of the comic relief in that, you know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hank Williams song, Alexander Dumbass. <laughs> I don't know, favorite, <laughs> favorite <laughs> roles. I guess I enjoyed playing the Jim Valenti on the, on Roswell, you know, the teenage sci-fi series um, years ago. Um, I don't know. Do you like doing TV? I do like doing TV. I just play. I was on Power for two years and played an Italian. Yeah. Show, right? Which is, <laughs> which was great fun. It was fantastic fun. Because it's, it's just a stretch for me. I'm not Italian and I'm not a gangster. <laughs> you know, get to be a badass, but he loves his son. But, you know, he loves his wife and, you know, he's a family man, except he kills people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's hard to pick a. No, that's no, that's hard to pick a favorite. I'm sure, especially they like your yeah. children, you know. Yeah, especially when you're doing a role, it sounds like you know, just from what you just chat with you for an hour, you get pretty into the role. So, I just did a film called VFW with Stephen Lang and and Fred Williamson, The Hammer. And yeah. That's awesome. George went, and it was for Fangoria magazine. They have a film. Oh, cool. They start producing films right now, but Steve Lang was the executive producer on it, and um, we just did that in Dallas a couple of months ago. And while I was... That looks like a pretty cool movie. I've never had more fun shooting anything in my life. I mean, it's a bloody... You know, it's just a blood fest. It's a siege movie, but... um, created this character named Walter who, uh, you know, lives and dies and um, fights off, uh, you know, evil teenagers on drugs. And <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. When's that going to be coming out? Those uh, are a really cool uh, story. Yeah, w- and the cast. I think it comes out, uh, I, I hear, September. I'm not sure, which seems awfully fast, but... But like I said, you know, it's like when I'm shooting them, um, I don't, I can't remember when I had. So, oh, Marty Cove, holy cow, I forgot Martin Cove. I was about to mention. That. I was going to say another great got, bad guy. They got, you know, they gathered up the, these all of these badass sort of actors. Uh, David Patrick Kelly. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so that was that was really fun to do. Yeah. Do you, do you have the whole bout? I know, obviously, you're a professional actor, and you probably don't get starstruck. But George Went, any nor- any normism that you uh, that he threw out on set? <laughs> no, no, no. He's a professional actor too. I know. I, mean, I know. I mean, I guess what I often find is that we've admired each other's work from afar. Yeah, you know, I've done. In that case, I had worked with Marty Cove on a show called uh, Hard Times on Planet Earth, and I'd worked with David Patrick Kelly on Broadway. Uh, oh, okay. Um, in a musical about John Lennon, and I worked with Stephen Lang in uh, Project X, and then again in something else, I forget. Um, yeah. So, the, so it's like a little reunion, some of these movies. So, yeah, you well, yeah, you often work with people you've crossed paths with before, which makes it fun. But most, for the most part, we admire, you know, if I'm a fan of their work, I've been watching them forever, you know. Yeah. Steve Lang and Avatar and so on, it just kicks ass. So I know, and those movies are going to be coming out. They're going to start coming out in you know, like 2021, all those Avatar movies. So you're, you know, it's it's nice when you can be a fan and a friend. Yeah, that's awesome, and I think that's a good way to uh, end it, Bill. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. So there you have it. That was William Sadler, or Bill. I didn't know what to call him, but he was so awesome to talk to, and you could hear throughout the interview. I kind of geek out a little bit. Because I love his work. There's so many movies that he was in that he was just so great in. Because, like we mentioned, you need 
the evil for the good to make sense and vice versa. So he played that perfect role uh, in all the movies he was in. And uh, so now your job is to go rewatch or watch for the first time uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Great movie. Then you're going to listen to us discuss it next week. So you just got to subscribe so you don't miss out. Review, rate, and make sure you share this. Tell your friends. It's a great interview with William Sadler, the great William Sadler, and some great behind-the-scenes stories that they could check out. Good night. 